of monsters fit into like the Halloween theme? Like, you know, it's all undead, which is kind of boring. Are there any other monsters you can think of for like Halloween that would kind of fit other than the, the usual uh, undead creatures? I mean, werewolves are uh, spoopy in, in and of themselves, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. There, there does seem to be a big fascination with creatures that were once dead but now alive. Um, I mean, we got vampires, we got mummies, we got zombies. Zombies so are so many one. fucking zombie shows. I, I do have to ask, like, you, you've seen The Walking Dead, I assume. Yeah, like half the first season. How come in their world zombies were never a thing, and so they had to come up with, with some sort of stupid bullshit name like Walker? Uh, um, I don't like, know. It, it seems like it's like uh, the undead, like even way back when, and like you know. Uh, medieval times and before then like there's like this huge superstition about undead creatures and people coming back from the dead and stuff and people are so scared back in uh that they would get buried before they were actually dead um kind of in like victorian times like they would have like little strings tied to people uh and like the strings would be tied up to bells above their grave and they could ring that if they were buried alive and like uh and i think there were a couple of like confirmed reports where it's like someone had indeed been buried alive and so like they would ring the bell and it's just like like there's such like this fear of undead and yet when you look at shows like the walking dead there's nothing like they're like oh this has never happened before we've never in all of our lives thought that the dead might walk again and it just it and then you get like stupid names like walkers and it's just like how Maybe the last thing the person who named them watched was Walker, Texas Ranger? Maybe. I don't know. It, it just seems like a weird, like, like I have no problem believing that, oh, there was some sort of virus that brought zombies alive. Well, you know what I have a problem with? People never having the idea of zombies before they come back alive. Well, I would assume nowadays people are just waiting for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I everyone now has, like, their own, like, zombie preparedness plan. And oh, I, I've got the... I've, I know you have several. <laughs> I've got my my uh, my prepper uh, extra stuff in the basement, you know. And, you know, people are always like, water and, you know, food. And I have toilet paper. Because let me tell you, when it all goes to shit, toilet paper is going to be one of the most valuable commodities out there. <laughs> it's going to be like Waterworld, but instead of, like, cigarettes, it's just going to be, like, bundles of toilet paper. Yes, I'm telling you. I mean, it's going to be one of those things that people are going to be like oh god i'll give you four cases of water for one roll fuck yeah dude (laughs) all right perfect uh well i have all of my uh camping stuff because i can't or because i can't fit it into my apartment it's just like it exists in the back of my car i should put a roll of toilet paper or like like a couple of bundles of toilet paper and paper towels back there that would be that would be smart i'm telling you antibiotics and toilet paper maybe more than just a hatchet for a weapon yeah i guess yeah hatchet works but that's a little too close to his can i borrow some of your nerf guns (laughs) i'm wondering uh yeah which one hurts more yeah if the zombies do come i'm fucked oh well i got a bat hey you know we'll we'll do it like Shaun of the dead uh you have uh those old (laughs) record thingies yeah the little I was about to call them floppy disks. No, the the, <laughs> the 45s, yeah. and the the, the the little ones, and then the big ones. Yeah, yeah, we'll just take those and we'll throw them like frisbees, and we'll kill a couple of zombies. <laughs> Sorry, walkers. Walkers. What else have they been called? Uh, I don't. The know. Walking Dead. I mean, yeah. obviously, uh, Chompers. <sighs> I think it was one. Um, Romero, uh, the guy that did like yeah, the the, the guy Night of the dead. They always called them zombies, right? Yeah, I mean Romero's the godfather, as far as I'm concerned, of good zombie movies. 
Biters, creepers, dead ones, uh, Biters, lurkers. Those are all from The Walking Dead. Uh, oh, apparently geek, they also call it. That's weird. Um, I always liked in Left 4 Dead, the, uh, like they had different types. So like there's like the normal, um, zombie type things. You ever play Left 4 Dead? Nope. Uh, okay. So they also had boomers, which were just like these overstuffed, like huge fat zombies. Like if you <laughs> shot them, they would explode. So oh, they that's got great. Boomers. Um, and then they also had like a witch, uh, which was just like this wailing zombie. And if you disturbed her, then she would mess up your shit. Uh, there were tanks, there was, um, hunters, there, like, they had a variety of names, but they still called them zombies, but they just had specific names for specific types of zombies. Huh. Um, yeah, zombies have just, like, literally taken over the whole undead genre. I'm ready for it to be over. I mean, I guess the thing that zombies have in their favor is they are, like, a herd, you know, and, and you can be changed into one, like, a vampire, you know, to get that many vampires, man, that motherfucker's going to have to be biting people all day and all night. Versus zombies, if what zombie starts in New York, the world ends. So, I, I I don't know. I'm just tired of zombies. Plus, they're weak-ass creatures in D&D. I mean, you need a horde of them to yeah, do I, anything. Well, I think in all pop culture, they've always been considered kind of weak and useless until you get, like, a huge amount of them. Yeah, or they bite you. Yeah, uh... Yeah, there is that problem. I mean, th- though, I guess the ones in D&D are stronger than commoners, so. Yeah, they got that going for them. Well, everybody's stronger than commoners. That's fair. Peasants? Is there anything below commoners? Uh, like, CR0, like, rats and birds and stuff. Birds? Uh, well. Yeah, so, it's interesting, because you brought up uh, werewolves first. Yeah. And I was going through the lycanthrope family. Holy shit. They just they went off the rails in some of the editions about the things that they made into wear something because I always like how they're like wear rat, wear bear, but I was wear going more wear tiger wear yeah. dude. There's a wear crocodile. Wear wear. <laughs> I was going through to see. I was like, okay, what's the weirdest one? I'm scrolling through. I'm like, okay, I think it was three point five or it might have been two, but one of those. They're like wear crocodile. I'm like, what? Well, how 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 are you scraping the bottom of the barrel that early in the editions? I mean, at least there isn't like a wear snake. Oh, I guess actually that would be like Yanti or Nagas. Uh, but <laughs> there's like, I remember going through 2E and it's like they separated uh, lycanthropes kind of by, uh, by sex. And so it's like, oh, wear tigers are mostly women. And that's because they look sexy. Like, like you can see, like, the drawing is just, like, oh. sexy, like, were-tiger, woman, furry costume thing. It's just like, yeah, okay, great. And it's like, were-bears. Oh, they're mostly men. And you can see, like, there's, like, this big hulking man bear thing. It's just like, you're just picking what you assume would be, like, what the- what teenagers would consider, like, hot wares. Yeah, the and, ultimate the yeah, ultimate stereotypes. Yeah, and just like turning them uh and just being like, "Oh no, it's only this this sex." So then, you know, you're not destroying the people's uh, fantasies, I guess. I don't know. It was kind of weird <laughs> just like going through it and it's like, "Oh yeah, these are always women. These are always men. These are, you know what? I can bite more than just men folk if yes. I wanted to." Yeah. You'd be the guy that would ch- that would turn children because you hate uh, children. <laughs> I think that's an unfair characterization. Welcome to the No End Here, the podcast. <laughs> I am your host, Steven, and on the other side of the table, uh, I forget his name. Some random guy. Are you? Who are you? Uh, dude, I wake up most mornings and can't remember my name these days, so. Oh, Chris. Yeah, that's me. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. He's not a host or anything. He's just here. I, I'm a I'm the permanent guest. Uh, well, the recording equipment's in your basement, so yes. you you get to join us by default. So, am I that guy that you know when you're in a on a TV show that uh, is like the reoccurring guest? You know, I get my name occasionally in the credits after like six episodes. <laughs> no, you're. Uh, so we we were just talking about this, Shaun of the Dead. You know, it's Shaun of the Dead, a great, great, great movie. That, and you have the. I got to look up the cast real quick. I know oh, exactly geez. who you are. Uh, you're Nick Frost's character, Ed. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> You're just the guy that stays home playing video games all day. Thanks. Appreciate that. You're welcome. I, of course, am Simon Pegg. Of course you are. Because he is brilliant, not only in Shaun of the Dead, but also in uh, Hot Fuzz and At World's End. Oh, yeah. All, that trilogy is fucking awesome. Yeah. The, I should watch more of his movies. That was he's, fun. You know, he was, uh, he's Mr. Scott in the, Star, the, the Star Trek reboot. He's actually really good in it. I have not watched Star Trek. Um, It's good. It is good. The what else was he in? He was in, I think the name of the movie is Kill Me Three Times. He plays a hitman. That I forget the the premise. He was okay in that. I don't like him in. You know, I think he was he was trying to do kind of a twist. He was trying to be like the evil guy with a humor, and he didn't do that. He's just good more as a deadpan humor guy, uh, like Hot Fuzz. He was. I laughed so hard in that movie, um, and he does the kind of the same thing in the Star Trek movies. Real quick, going back to the zombie, I find it interesting that the zombie... I feel the zombie should have pack tactics. Can you get behind that? No, because I think that requires a little bit too much strategy on their part. They're mindless. They're hordes. They they just charge forward. Kobolds and the like have pack tactics because they work off of each other. Okay. And you never want to meet a kobold by itself. Um, whereas, like, a zombie, like, for a level one party, and they're just investigating something, and they have, like, you know, like, a new party to D&D and stuff, like, they, you're, you're going to want to put, like, one monster in front of them so that they get, like, a feel for combat real quick. The monster isn't going to survive more than a round or two, and it will allow the, uh, the, the players to, like, get a feel for what they can do and things like that. But a, a, a zombie can appear by itself or with a mass, but with it being in a horde, it doesn't help a specific individual zombie be better. Right. I wonder if there should be something like a horde tactic. More like a swarm? Yeah, I mean, you could easily make a swarm of zombies. Um, like, looking at the swarm monsters. Let me mm-hmm. pull one up real yeah. quick. While you're doing that, it's... The other thing I find interesting about the zombies here is there's... And, I mean, this is a pop pop culture thing like we were talking about. There's no, like, if the zombie bites you, that you have to make a, let's say, a con save or turn into a zombie after so long, you know, unless the lesser restorations used. I mean, to me, that would make sense. I feel like that's something yeah, that you could the, add to. Yeah, these zombies are a lot less infectious. Yeah, no, they're just wandering around aimlessly, just doing nothing. I, uh, the, I can't think of any, I mean, beyond lycanthropes, I can't really think of any monster that, like, upon biting or stabbing at you, you, you start turning into them. Vampire? I haven't looked it up. Uh, vampire, you have to be reduced to zero. There's a couple that, like, if they reduce you to zero using, like, this specific attack, okay. then you'll rise up as them. But I can't think of anything that it's, like, you're still alive, mm-hmm. but you are coming back as the creature. I mean, well, I mean, we, we kind of did something with that for our uh, Leafs Adventure, which the third one will be coming out soon. <laughs> Take your promise. Please. Um, <laughs> Where, uh, when the spore carriers, uh, they're, they're basically like, uh, 
zombies, but uh, turned by plants and spores and mushrooms and fungi and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And when they uh, they die, they they explode out. And when they explode out, like they're releasing a bunch of spores into the air. And if you start failing con saves and stuff like that, then you uh, like you start turning into them. And then once you get like a uh, uh, yeah, every time you fail, you get a level of exhaustion. So after like you fail six times, you become a spore carrier after one d four hours. So that's kind of like it, but it's it's definitely not like in the movies where you get bit and you have to worry about like infection and right. being changed. You fall down, and uh, a minute later, you're suddenly a zombie. Unless you, like, cut off your arm where they bit you in enough time, which, I don't know, is weird. Yeah, so, looking at swarm rules, a lot of the swarms are, like, tiny little beasts, and they're only threatening because there's, like, 30 to 50 of them all there, ready to attack. I mean, you could actually look at their hit points and say, hey, there's, like, 22. Like, looking at the swarm of bats, they have 22 hit points, so you could say that there's 22 bats there. And so they are only dangerous because there's so many of them like swarming all around right. you. Now they have 5D, uh, their hit points are 22, which is determined by 5D8. So, I mean, you could also be like, oh, there's actually 40 bats here and use 40 hit points right. or things like that. Does it specify that each bat is one hit point? Or? No, they don't. But I, I think like you could, like with these tiny little beasts, you could mm-hmm. like theorize that, hey, these are going to be right. uh, such and such amount. Um, and now... Uh, swarms all have resistances to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing because okay. as like specific like targeting type thing. Right. It makes sense that when you swing your sword, you're not hitting all of them; you're only hitting a couple of them. Yeah, you need something in AOE spell that goes boom. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the best thing. And so you know when you when you're thinking about like damage resistance type things, and you're mm-hmm. like hitting a swarm, it's it's like you roll a d6, and you know you say you have a plus one modifier, so you roll a, a four on that, so you get a five total, and like that's you killing five bats and that's one swing but because they have resistance yep you actually only hit two of them so you're only able to destroy two of them at yeah. a time and so you know it kind of gives you ideas to what the swarms can be now with a zombie swarm they're more medium or they're medium creatures and so it, and they it, have eight hit points so uh, 22 hit points they have eight armor class oh sorry now there is a uh, skeletal swarm in ghost of salt marsh which is a large swarm of medium undead uh, which which is kind of an interesting little creature. Uh, it has 13 iron class, 60 hit points, which is a lot more than a regular skeleton has. Um, has all of its uh, it has its bludgeoning vulnerability, which all skeletons have that vulnerability mm-hmm. to. But it has damage resistance of piercing and slashing. So it takes a little bit of that swarm stuff and like adds it into its own stat block, which is kind of important for keeping it alive for longer. So, if you're a cleric, do you turn the entire group at once? Yeah, uh, yeah, they operate as a single entity. Wow. But uh, if you're able to turn them, then that'd be great. Uh, yeah. They are a CR2 rating. Mm, yeah, no, that's oh. interesting. I mean, you'd actually, the cleric could actually do something, you know, that people yeah. would cheer him for. And another thing that um, all swarms get is that they gain uh, condition immunities to being charmed because there's so many of them frightened hmm. again so many right uh which i th- i think you could like you might be able to uh uh like argue like i should be able to scare off these bats but i think like the idea is like there's just so many of them that even if like one or two of them run away a lot of them are still just going to be like right. right on top of you because they're like crazy with uh their whatever uh you can't grapple them which you know makes sense <laughs> uh you can't paralyze them you can't petrify them because there's too many of them. You can't right. prone them. 
They can't be restrained or stunned. And, like, the idea is, like, because, like, those effects typically only target one, one creature, person, right. you can't target the entire... Sp- no, and that makes total sense. That, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, <laughs> actually, I was just looking. The, the skeletal swarm actually can be grappled. How? I don't know. That, that, that seems like a misstep. Like, they can't be restrained or paralyzed, petrified, or anything like that, but it, it left out grappled. So I, that might be a mistake. I would assume yeah. it would be. If I mean, you can't restrain, how would you grapple? Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, you grapple first and then restrain. But, yeah, it, it just seems like a weird, like, oh, we forgot to put grappled into their step. That happens. So, interestingly enough, I'm still looking at the zombie. The environment for the zombie is urban. Yeah. That's, like, great. Wandering around the town and uh, zombies everywhere. So... So I guess this is going to be more of a Halloween theme uh, <laughs> podcast, unless we, you know, divert to something else. But the well, well, I, 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 I think go back to monsters here. Well, the the swarm of zombies. I think you could easily give them the damage resistance, the bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing. Okay, you can. Um, I would leave their armor class at eight because they're not really increasing anything there. I would give them at that point. Um, the swarm ability, where the swarm can occupy another creature's space and vice versa, and it can move through any opening large enough for a small humanoid, um, and then also the swarm can't regain hit points or gain temporary hit points. And then increase the amount of damage that the zombies do in a swarm from their typical 1d6 to 2d6 plus 1, um, and then once it has half of its hit points, reduce that down to 1d6. And then for its hit points, because these are bulky kind of creatures... I would probably give them around a hundred hit points. Okay. Um, and wow, the, that's a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, with an armor class of eight, no one's going to miss them. Um, good point. And, you know, give them a hundred hit points, and then it's it's a good time for the uh, the wizard to come through with like a big AOE and like blast them, and that's going to be like a good probably like a CR two CR three fight. Uh, yeah. The only one that's really going to be in danger is going to be, like, your frontline fighter that has to, like, tank the swarm's damage. But, again, it's only going to be, like, 2d6 or 1d6, which isn't going to be terrifying for anyone to, like, stand there and get hit by. So, if there's a swarm, is there... It would seem like a, a swarm of skeletons. If, if they were all moving... Like, bats are different. But if if a swarm of something that was medium, which, obviously, there's pretty much that one and nothing else... But if it was a large enough swarm, is there any way that they have a chance of knocking you prone? Because I'm just thinking, like, you know, all these skeletons just come charging at you and surround you and are just moving forward. Yeah, I mean, they could shove you down. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, the rules for a swarm is the swarm can occupy another creature's space. Okay. And so, with that being said, like, basically, like, you just get surrounded. And, like, if you try to escape, you're going to get, like, attacked by them and things of that nature. And so... It's not necessarily like dragging you down, but I could easily grappled and restrained seem like that because they're just all grabbing at you. I mean, actually, the swarm can occupy another creature's space and vice versa. (laughs) It just makes me think of like ten swarms all on top of each other. (laughs) And so, yeah, and then you do have a problem because there's ten swarms all on you. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, Um, I don't. (laughs) It doesn't specify one other creature's space. So, I guess that does mean you could do, like, in RuneScape with, like, the red dot of death, where everyone's just, like, standing on top of each other, just have, like, 20 swarms <laughs> just standing there. Oh, no. Uh, 
I guess if you had like a swarm of zombies, like what was the that movie with Brad Pitt that they tried like uh World War Z sure. where the zombies were just they were they were just it, like the White Walkers in uh in at the the battle You're talking the about Undead. Game of Thrones? What? White Walkers? Not the White okay. Walkers, the undead creatures that they turned in Game of Thrones oh, where whites. they just they just yeah, they just mass they just like run up against the wall and they just start climbing up on each other yeah. that's kind of what i'm envisioning with that and you're like ah oh, fuck me <laughs> yeah it's i don't know i keep looking back at that swarm thing i'm just like hmm, how can i use that to oh fuck god yeah i know if there's a lot of anything the next uh on saturday huge massive uh creatures shambling towards you and they're like all right well let's go ahead and roll initiative and like you lay it on your board you just put like one mini down it's like is just one of them no, that's a hundred. Ah, <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, just one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things and where... And now they begin splitting. Yeah, yeah. No, there was a... Uh, speaking of Star Trek, that was the thing. They the sh- These ships would come in, and they'd be in... Uh, they did it in Battlestar Galactica, too. They would fly in such close formation that you'd be like, oh, there's like three of them. And then they'd split apart, and you'd be like, oh, fuck, there's like... 60 of them and you're like hmm. and there's three of us hey let's run um I, I i picture it as being the same kind of thing so if i see a large swarm of creatures on saturday i should just run away i'm going to make a you just did you pull out your phone looks like you're making notes <laughs> what about like a swarm of tracks how would that look for you oh boy i can't fly either actually that leads me to a question about our campaign multi-classing okay I haven't multi-classed in 5e, and I'm doing it now. Now, the multi-class, and I'm going to say this, and people are going to be like, ugh, that's just such a waste, but I'm doing it because it's a character development, because I'm the way I want to the backstory of my character and how I want to play it, it makes sense. It's not to optimize my character, it's to play into his story. So his base class is a samurai, yeah. And now he's multiclassing into a barbarian. And I know most people are going to be like, well, that's fucking stupid because I think the mentality is, oh, I'm, I'm a fighter and I want spells or I'm a cleric and I want more spells. It seems like people multiclass to get spells. Am I off on that? No, uh, there's plenty of classes that multiclass into each other. Um, and there's a podcast all about it. Monsters and multiclass. Yeah. They're, they're cool guys. Um, I enjoy their, their discussions and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but like barbarian and rogue make really good combination because you can reckless and then you get sneak attack so long as you're using a finesse weapon. Oh yeah, which I mean, cool. It doesn't say you have to use your dexterity on the damage; it just says you have to be using a finesse weapon. So it it, it works out. Oh wow! Uh, I'll have to double check that. Um, but I think based off of my shaky memory of. <laughs> Uh, sneak attack like i mean and and it doesn't matter if you use your decks it just means you're not going to add your plus two rage bonus yeah if it does require only using your decks so i mean but sneak attack die oh that's really good yeah and you no, can change shit. like if you have extra attack with the barbarian then you can change like this attack's going to be with my decks this attack's going to be with my strength and you know like you can like swap back and forth so you still get that sneak attack die on your first one and then your rage uh damage on the second one, if the sneak attack does require finesse to to get that extra damage, so I mean it's it's really about when people multiclass. A lot of the times, like they like they'll look at like the coffee lock, where it's you have a sorcerer and a warlock, and the warlock 
uh, gets all of it, their shit back on a short rest, and the sorcerer can build like spell points and things like that, right. and kind of recharge things. But I mean, there are limits to each kind of multi-class, and so it kind of really depends on what you want to do. If you want more versatility, then yeah, you're going to multi-class into like, ooh, you're a wizard, but you kind of want some divine spells, so you'll multi-class into like cleric or druid and mm-hmm. get some of those more divine things, and so. Like, that does help you be a little bit more utility-focused and maybe provide healing that your party needs, but... Yeah. I I, I like multi-classing more as, uh, like, the the idea of increasing flavor for your character and not necessarily trying to find the best mechanical uh, bonuses that you can possibly get. I know a lot of people do, like, a dip into Warlock for that sweet, sweet yeah. Eldritch Blast. Um, which I always, <laughs> flavor-wise, it always cracks me up because it's like, oh yeah, I'm more than willing to pay over my eternal soul just so I can get this sweet <laughs> 1d10 Eldritch Blast. <laughs> oh no, that's funny. You know, and it's like, like I've like I've mocked characters uh, before, like like players are like, yeah, I think I'm gonna do a dip into Warlock so I can get you know Eldritch Blast. I'm like, oh, so which patron are you signing your eternal soul over <laughs> into? And they're like, uh, I don't know yet. <laughs> Like, I'm immediately cool. regretting my that decision. That makes sense. Uh, and I keep telling myself I need to make a Power Munchkin patron who is just like, <laughs> <laughs> heard you want that sweet, sweet Eldritch Blast. Uh, give me your soul and you can have it. <laughs> and, you know, like just oh, building off of that and like, you know, uh, like by like the final level you take with that Warlock patron just being like, why the fuck are you still here? <laughs> you already have the Eldritch Blast. <laughs> oh that's good yeah no and that's what i'm doing i agree with you on that the 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 reason i am doing going the barbarian is it plays perfectly into the to the flavor of my character it's a backstory issue it's it 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 makes sense for how i want to play the character i'm not trying to build this ridiculous op uh character that i can just do a god-awful amount of things and i have all these abilities I don't know. It's I I don't mind when people I guess the thing that I don't it's not that I don't like it or I, it bothers me. It's just you get people that are playing uh like a homebrew class and you're good about that. You'll let people as long as you go through the rules and talk to them and set up guidelines on, "Hey, I want to play this tinker that I found." You know, and they're like, "Okay." And you'll read through and you'll be like, "Yes, but, and you'll tweak it a little bit so it makes sense. Uh, and well, I, and I mean, I don't do that for every, like, there are good homebrew, like, uh, Tasty Kibbles does a really good artificer. Mm-hmm. He has a, um, yeah, other things that he's worked on. Like, uh, there's Sword Meow made, uh, the Atavist, which was pretty, uh, pretty interesting class. Didn't somebody play that? Yes. Okay. Ben. <laughs> good, good, good old Ben. I can always rely on him to have some, uh, some homebrew class that I've never heard of. And I'm just like, huh, that thing's really powerful. I'm going to go look it up. Um, which is good because, you know, these are things that I've never heard of. So it's interesting to read them. So I know for a fact that if someone was like, yeah, I want to play this class and they whip out their, uh, their, you know, laptop and they go to D and D wiki, you're going to be like, burn in hell. No. Uh, like I'll, I'll have to rewrite the class, but yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's, it doesn't bother me, but it's like, if you're already playing a homebrew, like, class, that's pretty cool, and then you start, you take a dip into something else, I don't know, it, it, it I'd rather just play that homebrew, like, I would get so excited that, like, oh, cool, I get to play this, I don't think, personally, I would multi-class out of that, because I'd want to see how it plays. Now, I get why people do it, you know, they may realize, like, partway through, they're like, huh, 
this isn't exactly what I thought, and it's not giving me that the abilities and the flexibility to do what I want. So yeah, I need to take a dip into something else. But most of the, at least most of the homebrew classes I've seen, you have to get around like seventh level before you get powerful. Well, and I mean that's that's also in uh, like the base classes. Like the big power levels are like level five, level eleven, level seventeen, I think. Um, and so, like, those are going to be your big power leaps. Now, homebrew classes, though, are, are more, uh, they're less generic than I would say what's in the player's handbook. Like, a fighter is a very generic term right. for anyone that hits people with weapons. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> a monk is kind of a generic term for someone who is good at unarmed, uh, uh kind of combat type things. I mean, that could be a brawler, that could be a pugilist. I mean, that could be like, oh, I, I was in a temple and I became a monk. Yeah. I know Kung Fu. Yeah, uh, like wizard. Uh, that's a generic term for anyone that like is practicing arcane magic and has to study things and things like that nature. But then like homebrew classes that people are creating are going to be a little bit, are going to be a lot more specific than that. Like I've seen like a dragon rider uh, homebrew class. There's, uh, again, the artificer is a bit more, um, uh, that's a little generic, but it's still a lot more specific than just fighter. Like, I've seen ones for uh, what amounts to nature-focused paladins called wardens. Uh, that was a thing, I believe, in 4E. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was in there before. But, like, you know, those are going more very, very specific kind of homebrew classes, whereas mm-hmm. the more general classes are going to be found in, like, published material because right. Watsi needs to be able to hit a wider variety of people than people who are making homebrew classes are hitting it for they're they're making it for themselves and like their specific ideas to how things are supposed to work correct yeah no and i get that you can't if you tried to put in that many classes into hardcover book that wizards puts out i mean you'd have that would be the entire player's handbook I mean, yeah you well could just i mean go that's forever. that's why you know 4e had three players handbooks yeah, no and shit. 3e had I think 3E also had three players' handbooks. They did. 2E had two? Three? Two, I think. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, like, like there, there's... 5E is really the... Well, I think 1E also only had one player's handbook. But I think, Mm -hmm. like, 5E is, like, really the only one that's had, like, a singular player's handbook. And then they have a weird book like Xanathar's where it's some classes and then random stuff at the top that they just had lying around. And they just threw into a book. So, multiple books, speaking of which, do you think they're going to come out with a second monster manual? I don't think so. I think uh, they're going to keep doing what they've done in the past with Volos and uh, Mordekainen's, where it's like the first part of it's like chapters on monsters, and then the back part of it's like a small bestiary. Okay. And I'm not against that, but yeah, I, <laughs> I would really prefer a monster manual, too, where it's just, you know, 300 plus pages of monsters. monsters. Yeah, I know, because you love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that. And I, I remember at Gen Con when Pathfinder. Uh, 2e paizo people were talking about pathfinder 2e and their monster manuals and they're like yeah uh so we're releasing it now with the first monster manual which has like three four hundred monsters in it and then by this time next year you should have a few more monster manuals so that uh or sorry they call them bestiaries yes and so we'll be looking at about 800 to 900 monsters and i was just like oh (laughs) well you know i want that (laughs) all you need to do then is go into uh 3.5 they have Three monster meters or four? Yeah, and they just, have a ton. Yeah, just go through and just pick and choose and, you know, create homebrew. Yeah, but then I have to update them all. 
Yeah, no shit. I just want to be able to open up a book and just, like, run off that stop block. I mean, a lot of people just want to be able to open up a book and run off a stat block. And, yeah. like, I I make monsters out of uh, necessity because I have weird ideas and I'm just like, hey, this would be great if uh, there yeah. was this weird creature from the far realm that shot out, like, snake tendril wormhole things and <sighs> devoured people from all across the multiverse that would be cool yeah that's when <laughs> unfortunately I, there isn't a stat block for that that's when i love playing a frontline fighter and i'm like i don't want to go near the magical portal with tentacles coming out of it i don't see anything good coming from this yeah so you know i i have to make stuff out of necessity mm-hmm. um and i i enjoy homebrew but i sometimes you know i I just want to sit down and open up a book and find something that'll work and then I can reflavor it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's the, a lot of times that's the way to go. I mean, there is very little original anything in this world anymore. Most stuff's been done, but that's the whole point. I mean, it's like, it's like cooking. It's real hard to come up with something that's unique and good these days. I mean, you got a lot of these young kids out there that are cooking that are just coming up with some crazy shit that, Sometimes it's amazing, and sometimes you're like, whoa, dude, that's not right. But a good chef will take something that has been around for a while and reflavor it. And <laughs> Literally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's like peanut butter and jelly uh, uh, hot wings, and it's just like, what? Yeah, no, see, that's the shit where I'm like, why are you doing that? But you take, you know, a simple dish, and you get, tweak it to your own, the, the thing you want to do, and... It comes out great, it's just like a monster. You take a you take a stat block, and you're like, eh, I think I'm going to take this out, but I'm going to give them this disability, and you know, it throws the players off too, it keeps them on their toes. Yeah, and like, uh, like when we we're talking about the swarm of zombies, like yeah. you could easily have it so like this zombie swarm doesn't behave like a normal uh, zombie or a normal swarm, where it's like if they land in your spot. At the every at the end of your turn, if you end your turn there, they have to make a strength save, or they are automatically knocked down by the zombies. And right. the zombies don't have to use an action or reaction to do that. It's just it just swarm. automatically happens to them because they are a swarm and they are like sh- like shoving each other out of the way, trying to bite into your supple flesh. That's what so, I was saying before. I like that. Yeah. So I, I think that'll be. That, I mean that that that's a good way to like take what's already been established mm-hmm. and then bring something new into. Uh, the D&D monster 5Es. Like, I can't think of any monster where it's like, at the end of your turn, if you are inside them, that you are knocked prone. Like, I mean, there's plenty of monsters that will eat you, <laughs> yeah. and you are not, and you are considered prone and restrained while inside of them, but there's none that where you end your turn while inside the swarm that you get knocked prone at. Yeah, and so, bad. like, I think mean, kind of tying it all together, like, you, you just find what's already been done, and then you mm-hmm. add in a couple of new things, and hopefully yeah. it works out nicely. No, I like that. And like I said, it, it challenges the players for those for the player. I mean, everybody, unless you're a new player, I've read through most of the monster manual and doing you know doing this and uh, you know writing the things for the articles for Dumpstat. Compared to a year ago, I know way less than I probably should, but I know a lot now, and it's hard. You say, oh, you know, I know what it is, but my character doesn't. That that drives me crazy. But if you mix, well, I it, love those mental gymnastics yeah. where it's like, well, I know, so I know this troll is uh, vulnerable to fire, so I'm going to. Um, what spell do I have? Right? Oh, make like a nature check. Ah, shit, I failed that. Um, you know, I'm just going to spend like two or three turns, just like switching back and forth between right. different types of spells and see. What it's like, no, it, it. I like to think that kind of like player knowledge is like world knowledge, where in like 
when a player knows that a troll is vulnerable to fire, the character would know that's vulnerable to fire because the like the gossip and like the story tales right. that people tell in the world would say, oh, you know, like if you ever meet a troll, like have a torch or things of that nature. Right. Yeah, no, and that makes total. That's a great yeah. way of looking I at. I mean, it. there's like weird things where it's like if you ever meet an abolith, don't hit it when you're within five <laughs> feet of it, or else you'll get mucus in your lungs. Like, no, like, like there's like certain things where it's like this is like a really rare creature. You're right. Doing, like no one's really ever heard of. To like this is a troll. Everyone's heard of it. Like there, there's like a little bit of back and forth you can do, but kind of like player knowledge can equal world knowledge. Right, and you and. You like you were like I was saying before. You can build off that by tweaking it just a little bit, so the players will be like, "Oh, well, yeah, I know they're gonna do that." And like you said, they bounce back and forth a little bit, and you're just like, hmm, "No, nah, I, I changed that on you." And all of a sudden, they're like, "Oh shit!" And, and you gotta you have to think think on your feet, which yeah. I think is an important part of the game. Yeah, and, um, and like you can describe like if you want to change up the troll a little bit for your world, so then it's like. Not immediately throwing fireball at it. Like, you can um, describe, like, the trolls carrying a torch with it. And, like, <laughs> and you're like, hmm. And you start describing, um, like, he doesn't seem scared of his torch. And, like, like you're giving ideas to your players. Like, oh, maybe this troll isn't like the others. And you can right. describe, like, maybe its skin feels hot. And so, like, they're trying fire spells. And it's just like, oh, it's immune to fire. How about that? Yeah. And, uh, like, like, and now they have to try and figure out how they can work against it. But you actually... When you are changing statistics of a well-known monster like that, you need to make sure that you, uh, like you show it to your players. Like, right. No, it's I, walking through a campfire and it's fine. Like you gotta be able to show your players that this creature is far more different than what they might be thinking of, and give them ideas as to how they might combat it. Like if it's immune to or if it's vulnerable to cold, then describe like it being like huddled, like close, like almost on top of the fire um, right. on a cold night. Yeah, you know, and I think that's a really good point because it, the responsibility should be on the DM because players will, you know, it, it's not fair to a player just to all of a sudden just throw it at them without anything. Like, they're going to be like, what? You know, and they're going to cry foul. Yeah. So I, I like how you describe that. Speaking of which, going back to the uh, classes, I do want to eventually play the scion that you created. So if you guys go to, what is it, on our Patreon Patreon page? What was that? The scion? Did you put it on? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can find it on uh, our Patreon page. I'll also link it uh, to the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first version of the scion, um, working on a uh, updated wording and additional skills and um, a new subclass to throw in there. Yeah, no, and I, I want to I try it eventually and just because I... I think it. I think it's a cool fucking idea, and it might help you be like, "Ooh, no, I need to tweak that for you know version two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like the basic, um, just to give a little feedback about uh, what the Scion is. The, the I did not like the Mystic and that Watsy put out, which is supposed to be like their psionics type thing. I also don't like the idea of the Scion whose like power comes from like their mind and things of that nature. Like like just having like a huge pool of points to work with every day. And then at the end of the day, like, you know, it's like, oh, I got, you know, two points left. I can't spend it on anything. I guess I'm just sitting around with two points. Um, I like the idea that uh, their their mind had like a certain amount of work that it could produce at a given time. Mm-hmm. And then as they use that ability, like it would get like they would have less points to work with. 
But at the start of every turn, they would have a recharging uh, die. And so, like, their mind was, uh, was like, constantly building up uh, power and power for them. But they could only unleash a certain amount of it at a time. And their mind was only capable of doing so much work uh, total. And so, the idea is, at, like, level 20, you have 40 side points, which isn't a whole lot compared to other classes where, you, I mean, you look at, like, the Mystic, I think, had, like, 100-plus points. Yeah. But, like, the Scion, um, my homebrew Scion, it has 40 points at level 20, but it can recharge up to a D8 of them at the start of its turn. Okay. And it can use up to 11 points on a single psionic thing that it does. And so, like, it becomes more of a juggling act during combat. It's like, all right, I only got these 40 points. I'm going to get a couple of them back. On, on average, I'm going to get about 4.5 of them back mm-hmm. every turn. So, you know, you're quickly, like, exploding out with damage but you have to be worried that hey if i use all of them now i'm not going to have any for like my reaction or for my next turn and i might roll really poorly on the die and only get like one back or i might roll really well and get eight back and so it 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 kind of creates a bit of tension for that player who has to manage their resources inside of combat this is is not a class for everyone um not everyone's going to like the idea that uh they're uh like having to constantly adjust what they're going to do on their turn um, with like these small minute changes or keep track of like their points that keep changing every every right. little uh, every couple of minutes and so it, it, it's definitely more focused towards people like me that want a little bit more uh, crunchiness in their uh, in their class and ha- gives them a little bit more to do during combat that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily slow down time at the table but does allow them to come up with uh, their own kind of like mini games in and of themselves I guess. Yeah, and when I was looking it over, two things kind of popped out at me. Uh, the first one was, and I did notice that, I was just like, wow, that's not a lot of points. You do get some back. So it's a management and maintenance kind of issue. Yeah. You have to, you really have to pay close attention to what you're doing. I mean, you can't blow your load right away because if you're like me, the dice are going to, the dice are going to screw you over and you're going to be like, one. Yeah, and one. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> and they they also have other things that they are spending their their points on. They mm-hmm. have what's called talents. And so uh like they have to invest a certain amount of their talents or a certain number of their points into those talents. Right. And so like that decreases their side point maximum. So while a level 20 uh Scion might have 40 points, he has up I think it's like six talents that he can invest his points into. And if he invests all of his points into those talents, he's going to be really powerful with those talents, but he's not going to have any juice to use during combat. And so, you know, it, it's, it creates a much more modular character that you can kind of fine tune and adjust between each combat and drop, uh, you know, it's like, uh, instead of giving myself this much movement, I'm going to drop it down a little bit and I'm going to put a couple more points into uh, maybe increasing my reach or increasing uh, the damage that I can deal. Or it's like, maybe I'm going to drop all my talents for this combat, and then I'm just going to focus on just doing explosions amounts of damage. Yes. And it's <laughs> like, and, and there are other talents where they reset on short rest or long rest because otherwise this class doesn't have anything to, uh, make scions want to take a short or long rest. So you kind of have to include those type of things in there as well. Right. The other thing I was thinking about for this was at the higher levels, and it ties into the fact that it's not don't get me wrong i don't i think the i think the way it's set up with the lower amount of points but the regaining of points makes sense um but letting them 
you go down, you know, if you go down to zero points, you're fucked. You're, you're kind of, you're not a very useful person, but being able to like pull some sort of, you know, you reach deep within your mind and you can get more, you somehow regain more points or use another ability, but you have to make a check or you take a level of exhaustion. You know what I mean? You can actually, you know, overtax your brain yeah. if you're in a weird spot, you know, where you somehow managed to blow all your fucking points. Um, well, and I was like, and I, I was just like, I was like, that might be a good idea, but you know, I want to do my own. So now that you've done this, I'm like, fuck, this is really good. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a couple of things where in there where it's like they can, um, you know, as a bonus action, uh, they have a number of uses where they can reroll or like they can roll their recharge right. die again. Yeah. Um, and then there's other things where it's, um, you know, like for like the next, uh, round or two, like they can get the maximum back on their recharge die. And so, you know, there, there's a variety of things that that's in there, like Mm -hmm. baked into the class to help them, uh, keep their points going, but it's always going to be a never ending battle of trying to keep all your points on you because I've run several, um, kind of simulationist combats with a variety of different, of the different scions for myself, like trying to see how the class would work. And it's like after like the second or third combat round, I'm like struggling to f- like squeeze as much as I can right. <laughs> out of my side points and trying to make sure like you know I can still do stuff or like you know if combat goes for five or six rounds, um, my 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 character is like really really sad and he's like. <laughs> running out of a lot of abilities but on the other hand so are like you know you look at wizards and stuff like right they're going to be running out of spells as uh combat keeps going on and on and on so like there there's there's definitely some comparison to be made between my scion class and another class but mine was built with a more uh greater focus towards people that want more to do in combat in between their rounds where they're trying to think of okay i could use this many points for that well if i don't roll high enough then you know i'm kind of screwing myself over on this other ability i want to use right yeah it, it, it's sort of like hey you think playing a sorcerer is fun yeah let's try this <laughs> you, you, you'll see you'll see you really have to pay attention mm-hmm. i guess while we're on homebrew caleb one of our patrons had asked about homebrew spells before you can really get started on spells and creating your own spells, obviously you need to look as to what's been created before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also have to have an idea as to what spell level you want to make. Are you wanting to make like a third level spell? Are you wanting to make a, a second level spell? Like, it's, it's not quite as obvious with these spell levels as it is with character classes, but certain spell levels are more powerful than others. Uh, and it ties in with when character classes get more powerful. At 5th level, 11th, and 17th, a wizard gets access to higher level spells. At 5th level, a wizard gets, like, uh, 3rd level spells. At 11th, they get 6th level spells. And then at 17th, they get access to a ninth level spell. And so those are going to be big power boosts for your spells. Right. And you kind of have to keep that in mind when you are designing a spell. And where you kind of want it to fall inside of the area. Uh, we're going to talk about spell. I think we'll focus right now on um, damage spells because uh, spells that do a type of effect like proning, restraining, paralyzing, those are a little bit more difficult to figure out where where they're supposed to belong on the spell levels. And sometimes it doesn't always make sense as to where they are. Yeah, besides most players want to create or most people want to create spells that things I just want to roll more dice. Yep, exactly. Um, 
if you have access to it, I recommend checking out page 283 and 284 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. There's a handy kind of spell damage chart mm-hmm. on 284 that shows what how much damage a typical spell of that level should be dealing. Okay. So if if you are targeting one character, then the damage that your spell is going to be dealing uh, is going to you know increase from 1d10, 2d10, 3d10 at cantrip first or second level. And then you can even see that on the chart at third level, at one target, it should do 5d10 damage. And so, like, you can see, like, second level was 3d10, third level is 5d10. So, like, they're even showing, like, there is that boost in between those spell levels. Um, And then, again, it happens at sixth level. So, at fifth level, you'll do 8d10. Sixth level, you'll do 10d10, which is a big boost. Um, And that also happens between fourth and fifth, where it's 6d10 to 8d10. So, there are certain levels where it's going to do a bigger boost of damage, based off of what spell level you want to deal with. And Mm -hmm. a good idea to kind of get like the barest feel for that is just looking at this chart and trying to figure out kind of what level spell you're wanting to do and what type of uh, amount of damage and how you want it to deal with. Okay. What about scaling? Because a lot of spells... Typically, you just add in an extra damage die. Like, you can see, like... Right, for every level, you get another D6, if that's... Yeah, yeah, if you cast a spell at a higher level, then you deal an extra D6 of damage. Or if it's targeting one creature, it might be only an extra D10. Like, whatever damage die that you are dealing Mm -hmm. inside that spell, you just increase the damage by one die. Now, there are certain spells that don't don't scale. Like, Meteor Swarm, I believe, is 20D10 Fire, 20D10 Bludgeoning, (laughs) but it does not scale. Right, well, God... Because it's an eighth level spell, and like yeah. I mean, you could scale it up to ninth level, but you're not going to deal an extra, you know, one d ten fire or yeah, one d six fire and one d six. Pretty sure rolling like forty dice will. Yeah, I mean, forty d six is a lot of damage to just roll at someone. <laughs> um, but when creating spells, like I've always kind of tried to figure out what level spell. Um, a lot of the times, it's it's a character that one or a player that wants to create a spell mm-hmm. for their specific character, and so I'm trying to figure out, you know, what spells can they cast? What is the desired effect that they want it to do? And then I try to make a spell that uh, works within that confinement. Like if they can only cast first level spells, and they want something that does X, well, you might have to pull back that effect so it's not so powerful at first level, and then create a first level spell for that, and then. At higher levels, it starts dealing more and more what they want it to do. Right. Okay. Like, oh, I want to be able to cast a spell that holds a bunch of creatures. And you can look at Hold Person, which I think is a second level spell. But at higher castings, you can start targeting more and more creatures. Yeah, as you know, when Caleb posed this question to us, the first thing that came to mind was... Yep, I would. Person. I think the hardest thing, if you wanted to create spells, I think the hardest thing that you would create in that... Air then that that you know homebrew kind of thing would be cantrips. I mean, I I, I think it would be fun to create more cantrips, but it, the the chance of you overpowering something with a cantrip because a cantrip doesn't shouldn't do much, but at the same time should give you the flexibility to use it when you're like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm yeah, I'm, I just I'm wasted tats. all yeah, yeah, I just wasted everything. So I, as I was going through, I I felt like it was harder than creating. An actual spell. Yeah, uh, can cantrips are um, interesting type things because they, they can be harder to balance because like Eldritch Blast does a D10 fire uh, force damage, Firebolt does a D10 of fire damage, but Eldritch Blast you can target multiple creatures when you get higher level, whereas the Firebolt you can't. 
So, you know, like, how does that math work out? And then, like, Firebolt only ever does that D10, but if you go Warlock and you get Invocation, then you could potentially add in, you know, your, your Charisma modifier so it makes it even more, uh, it makes it stronger. Whereas opposed to, like, there's other cantrips that only do a D8 or D6. Right. Like, Toll the Dead is a lot lesser damage when someone hasn't been hurt, but then it's a D12 when they have been hurt. And you kind of have to take into account what type of saves are being called for, what um, what type of damage you're dealing, and mm-hmm. then if there are any other side effects to it. Yeah, no, and, and, you know, a cantrip is something that makes a lower level character spellcaster useful. And at the same time, gives you the ability to at least assist somehow in a battle at a higher level when, you know, you've been walking room to room through a, a dungeon or a castle and you haven't been able to take a long rest. So you're like, I am tapped. Yeah, I will just, I will be spamming Eldritch Blast because right now that's what I can do. And it still makes you a part of the combat. Mm, yeah, like Acid Spray allows you to target up to two creatures. Right. They have to be within uh, five feet of each other, and they have to make a deck save or take 1d6 acid damage, which is really, really low. Um, like the only the save. Yeah, like deck save is an extremely um, common save type. But the reason why it's so low is because you can target two creatures, and if they both fail on their deck save, then you're actually dealing 2d6. Yeah, dealing- and so it's, it's a lot more damage. And so like the idea is acid spray should be used when people are next to each other because that's when you're going to deal more and more damage. And I think the I think what people miss a lot of times is what you said before. You're not dealing a D6. You're dealing 2D6. But because it's... So long as there's two people next right, to each other. Right, within five feet of each other. But any spell like that where you can hit multiple people and you're doing more damage, I think what people miss is they... They feel like, oh, well, I'm still not doing that much damage because it's not at one target. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? They're like, yeah, I'm only doing a D6 per person. You're, you're like, yeah, but as a total damage, you're doing a lot more. I think the mentality is I want to hit something as hard as possible because I want to kill it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of, uh, I'm just going to be able to use my minor AOE-ish kind of spell that's not going to kill anybody. Yeah, and like, and then you can like look over down at Chill Touch, which is a D8, and they can't regain hit points until the start of your uh, until the start of your next turn, which is really good. I mean, it's not as good as a D10, but you're also keeping them from being able to recharge their hit points. So if they have a cleric behind them, that's a really good thing. So the basic idea is that Cantrip started a D10 right. on damage. The more uh, if they have a secondary effect. That allows them to um, like either give disadvantage on their next attack roll, reduces their speed by ten feet, or as Chill Touch does, where it's uh, they can't regain hit points till the start of the next turn. You decrease that right. die by one, and you change it to a D8. Now, if you're going to target multiple creatures, you need to drop that down to a D6 because you're actually like if you if you only drop it down to a D8, then that's going to be two D8, which is anywhere from two to sixteen points of damage that you're dealing, which is far stronger than any other cantrip that you have available. Um, it, and then you also have to kind of pay attention to what type of saves you're looking for. A lot of them are going to be ranged attacks, but some of them are going to be saves. And a lot of them shouldn't be like those rare saves that are like strength, charisma, or intelligence, because monsters typically aren't going to have them. And when you do that, you should look at adjusting the damage that they deal, 
so they don't deal as much damage because on average a creature is more likely to fail those because those aren't the important saves but a dex wisdom or constitution are the three most uh, prevalent saves in which case you don't need to adjust the damage for those because monsters are going to have that chance of being able to save right. against it because they are more common yeah, and it's going to be up to players to kind of mix and match their cantrips and use them smartly. If they're fighting zombies, they need to know, oh, I should use deck save cantrips. They're going to be a lot less likely to do it instead of a constitution saving throw because a zombie has very, like undead have very good constitutions. And so being able Which to... Which is weird. Uh, they're healthy, I guess. <laughs> they eat, <laughs> they're right? They're healthy in a dead way. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, when you look at... When you look at like TV shows and movies, do you ever notice that all the spells that people get to use are like stupid powerful? Like Constantine, he doesn't have any weak spells. He just gets to fucking banish people and crush people all the time. The only the only character that has weak ass motherfucking spells is supposedly the most the ultimate wizard in in all media, which is Gandalf, which I know you say is a bard. He has light. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and Gandalf isn't really a wizard. He's a celestial. Well, he's he a celestial. He's a celestial Spoilers. after he. Well, falls no, he down. was always an angel. Uh, yeah, but he's a he's a stoned out of his fucking mind angel in uh, the Hobbit. I mean, he he smokes a shitload of dope. He even admits it. So, fallen angel and then redeemed as he plummets. He through. was never a fallen angel. Well, then he was a just a totally. No, I don't like, give a no, shit. No, like he was sent by whatever D I. I don't know the Lord of the Rings thing that well, but like, we, like those wizard type things were actually like so supposed to be like celestial angel type creatures. And right. So they have some sort of like divine power, but they aren't really allowed to, uh, uh, like mess up the mortals' plans and things of that nature that much. Yeah, but I don't know. I have a hard time with that. I see how he's a celestial after what is it in the first of the Lord of the Rings series where he plummets. Uh, through the earth with the demon and then comes back as uh, Gandalf the White. But again, I it's been so long. Now, one of our... Uh, so he is a Maya, uh, M-A-I-A, uh, which is a class of beings from J.R.R. Tolkien's high fantasy legendarium. Supernatural and angelic, they are lesser Anur, who entered, I don't know that word, in the beginning of... <laughs> uh, basically, like they're just like supernatural angelic creatures. Okay. that That's what Gandalf is. He's not a wizard. So uh, one of the people on our Discord channel is a huge... I can't remember who it is. Hazel. Hazel is a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So if you're listening to this, let us know on Discord. Yell at Chris. Yeah, let us know on Discord because I'll be honest, I don't agree with that in The Hobbit. I don't... It's just a different world. Yeah, but it's a different magic setting. Hazel, let us know. Let us know what your okay. thoughts are on this because you know everything. no idea what you're talking about now. Yeah, neither do I. But Okay. No, but in... In f- TV and film, all these spells that uh, supernatural, holy fuck, th- they don't have a weak spell. Every spell for them is eighth level or up. You know, it's eighth or ninth level. Well, spell. they have a bunch of warding spells. Yeah, it it just it seems like there's no such thing as no one's doing like first level magic missile. Pew, 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 pew. Well, They're that's... all just. I mean, and I get it. You want to be super powerful in a. In well, if that. you want that type of magic system, then you should, uh, like, D&D is not the magic system no. for you. Uh, they use what's called Vancian magic, where you have, like, specific spell levels, and you can prepare certain numbers of spells, and, like, you're very limited into your spell. There's other games, like Talislanta, that are much more freeform about your spells, and, like, you can create your own, and it's not just, 
oh, Fireballs does this. No, I can't use Fireball to like light my cigarette or light a match or anything like that. <laughs> it only does this. Right. Whereas other systems are a little bit more freeform about how their magic works, where it's like, yeah, I can, uh, instead of just casting Fireball, I can instead cast a bead of fire. Now, as I cast it, I can have it do different effects, and it requires different things from me. Like, I can decide, oh, I want it to be a little bit more explosion. I want it to have a bigger reach, so it's going to cost me more points to do that. Oh, I want it to have a longer range, so it's going to cost me more points to do that. And so it's a bit more of a freeform magic system, whereas D&D relies on the fact that a spell is a spell, and right. it only does what's on the uh, like what's under the hood. Like it, it doesn't do anything more, it can't do anything more, and it can't do anything less. It is... Whenever you cast a firebolt, you cannot do 76. You have to do 86. Can't do 96 unless you cast it at a higher level. Yeah, it is much more rigid magic system. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just I want someone. I I want I want at least one person in a movie to be like a weak ass wizard and not have some crazy power. Uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice with a uh, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, but doesn't at the end like he becomes like super powerful? I don't know. I, I stopped paying attention it's about Nicholas, halfway through the movie. Yeah, it's Nicholas Cage. I mean, it's. A, <laughs> I don't. I mean, the, the Harry Potter's magic is weird in that like you can cast as many spells as you want during the day, but yeah, but sometimes they, you have to say words, and then other times you don't have to say words, and then but it's some, all focused through a wand. Yeah. I, I, sometimes you have to do a specific gesture. Other times you just point your wand in a beautiful power comes out of it and yeah. then other like uh, harry potter's magic system makes no fucking sense <laughs> nope, you just really point doesn't. your wand and you hope it does what you want it to do yeah the and sometimes it, you have to say like latin words but that's only when it sounds cool exactly <laughs> but not all the time like there's only like oh no these spells require like you to say something and i mean going back to the original question about like creating your own spells and things of that nature uh spells are if they have an extra effect that ties into them consider like going off of the um page 284 like that spell damage chart drop the damage by one die like right. that it, and that's the same thing with weapons if you look at the weapons in the player's handbook uh simple weapons start at a uh d8 mm-hmm. if there's something that gives them a bonus it drops down to d6 like finesse or light it drops it down to a d6 if something gives it a negative then it increases it up one die. So, like, if you're looking at a martial weapons, those start at d10s. If something, if if it has a heavy class or if it has the heavy type to it, right, then it increases its damage by one. If it has, um, if it has like the finesse property, then it decreases its die by one. And so, like, there's like that back and forth. Whenever you give a spell an extra added ability or effect, you need to drop the damage die by, down by one. Every time that you give it something that's going to, um, like a negative to it, then you need to increase that die by one. And so that's going to be less common in spells because there's no like heavy classification for spells or two handed classification for spells. But like a big negative would be like, oh, they have to be within five feet of you. Or it's a really, really tiny area of effect. Like those can be considered negatives and you might consider increasing the damage slightly for those depending on what's going on with it. Or you might decide, hey, this entangle of like thorns and stuff that's going to restrain people, it's you know, 10 foot, 20 foot radius, I should drop its damage down because I'm adding an extra effect to it. So what about like a halberd where you get, uh, wouldn't you consider reach as a bonus? You still do a D10. Yeah. Uh, let me pull up the... No, it's a heavy... Yeah, that's two-handed, the so they balance it out. 
Yeah. So the two, the the reach would be a bonus. The heavy weapons, the negative. So they just cancel each other out. So you still do a d10. Correct. And gotcha. two-handed. Uh, actually, <gasps> I'm paying attention to you. Well, I might have gotten my scores mixed up with each other. I have my book in front of me. It might be that simple weapons start at d6, and then martial weapons start at d uh, d8, and then it just from there. Okay. But basically, like they all start at a certain die level, and then the more pros and cons you add onto it, it's going to affect the type of dice that you use. So let me pull up a let me so, pull up a simple weapon real quick. So if you. I was thinking this. I was like, this is one of those. This is a, a homebrew class you could make, but it would also make you pull your hair out as a DM. If you, you were well, you're talking before about the different magic systems, if you want someone that is just, you think the scion's crazy about management and, and creativity, have a class where you have a very, uh, a spellcaster class where you have a very limited amount of spells, but the player can spend X amount of time and create their own spells. Now, it would be really difficult because you'd have to, you know, verify every spell because they're going to be like, I'm going to make a first level spell that, you know, is a meteor swarm. No, you would have to give them, like you said, in the book, the guidelines, but you could allow them to create their own spells. And at every level, they could, you know, create a spell at a different level or something like that. That could be a lot of fun for somebody that's super creative, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah and, they ha- and then to your point before, the core spells that they have, they can tweak. Yeah, and and going back to uh, it's actually simple weapon started d6 and martial weapon started d8. So I was okay. wrong before what I was saying. Um, so yeah, so like the two handed is a negative, so it increases the die, and then the heavy is a negative, so it increases the die. But the reach is a positive, so it decreases it. So you would go from d8 to a d10 to a d12, and then back down to a d10. Just so you know, we have it on um, audio now that you admitted you are wrong about something. Uh, briefly. Yeah, you're gonna cut that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, now there are, uh, like, you can even look at, like, the simple weapons. Like, there are things that fly in the face of that. Like, the, uh, the spear has the throne property, which you would consider to be a good thing, but it doesn't change its, its die. It still stays as a d6. There's, um, uh, the light hammer has the light property, which is a bonus, so it drops it down to a d4 and it has a throne property, but it doesn't go any lower than that. Right. There's um, the hand axe has the light property, but it does a D six. Like it's the same thing as the light hammer, but the light hammer does a D four, but the hand axe does a D six. And they bo- they are both light. They are both thrown with a range of twenty over sixty. And so, what gives there? Yeah. Um, I mean, the hand axe costs five gold. The light hammer only costs two gold. Is that the reasoning? Is that is that the reason why one deals more damage than the other? It might be, um, because they are considered like thrown weapons. The idea is that you are throwing them. You are not using them for your main attacks. You're throwing them, so they're kind of seen more as disposable. And so, if you want more attacks with that higher die, you're going to have to spend more gold. And if you're in like a low gold setting, then it's it's going to cost you a lot more to have more of those ranged options. So that might be the part of the thinking as to why this D6 instead of a d4 on these two weapons because one's a lot cheaper you could buy two d4 mm-hmm. weapons right. for the price of one d6 that's i don't know it's funny i've been using uh, a lot of uh information from the anger gm yeah. when i've been creating stuff and it's funny as shit when he's like writing he'll be like so and it'll go step by step about the rules and say you know here's what it says here if you look at this so on and so forth it makes sense and then i'll get to a part and be like 
And now this makes no fucking sense. They're like, there is no logic behind what they're doing now with this piece. So you kind of have carte blanche, but at the same time, there are some basic rules, but nobody knows what the basic rules are because none of it makes sense because there's so many different things. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> and and like the angry GM has very, very strong opinions about some of the designers. Yes, he does. <laughs> Um, and I, I like the Anger GM. He has a lot of great, um, uh, advice about how to make things and how to create mm-hmm. things of that nature. Um, he does a very good job of explaining things. Um, yeah, no, I, I, but he also has his like thousand plus word rambling introduction that sometimes you just have to skip through. Yeah. It, he, I give myself like a half a paragraph to a paragraph. <laughs> no, and you will have no I'm idea. I'm not important yet to have a thousand words. <laughs> intro. It, it, you will not get this reference, but it's like, I, you know, I play fantasy football, and one of the guys that I read, uh, Matthew Barry, he does the same thing. It's You want to get to the part where it's the information, where, oh, this guy, he's saying this guy should start, you shouldn't play this guy, blah, blah, blah. But you have to spend, you know, and he, you think a thousand words bad. He usually does closer to 2,000 where he's telling some story and going on and on. And it's like, dude, your stories are basically starting to trip over each other because you've been doing this so long i'm just gonna scroll down to the bottom well, that's sometimes whenever i'm looking for a food recipe it's just like oh here's five thousand paragraphs about this one person's husband and i don't care yeah, it's just like <laughs> please isn't there a button to skip and that's why i think when we do our home when we do homebrew we write a little blurb yeah and then we're just like yeah if you're tired of listening to us ramble on just click the button and i think people appreciate that i hope so yeah because uh, you know I, I could I could talk a lot more for about nothing for a while. Yeah, I think we all know I can. Uh, one last thing is kind of a spell components. You know, uh, are they important? Are they not? Um, now, I, I I assume you, Chris, as a as a when you used to play a cleric, you paid attention all the time to your spell components, right? I just had a holy symbol that did everything. Uh well, that's kind of a common misconception. It does anything that doesn't cost a specific gold right. amount. And or it doesn't cost a specific money amount. And, and how we handled it in that campaign is the way I think you should do it. Spell components. Yeah, okay, I just have this magical little bag that has all my spell components in it, which is great. But when you get to spell, when you get to higher level spells that are very, like, uh, revivify. Yeah. It was like, you can't, do you have the diamonds? Yeah, well, and there's... that makes sense. And I made a list of every spell that requires uh, something to be consumed or that cost, uh, or that has, like, a material cost that is, like, absorbent a a lot. Um, And I found that to be very helpful because I'm not going to ask you every single time, like, all right, what other components? You need Volbal Somatic and what else? Yeah, do you Um, have a pinch of dust? Yeah, and so it's... It's a lot easier um, if you just have a basic understanding as to what materials are needed. Now there are now there is a reason why certain uh, why certain spells require a component that costs more. Like identify is a first level spell, but it requires a hundred gold gem. Right. There is a reason behind that. It's because the the designers of the game want are realize that this is a low level spell. So it should be at first level, but there should be uh, a bit of a uh, of a barrier for you to be able to cast this. You need a specific gem that you like. It doesn't consume it; you just have to have it. And so there is that barrier. So at first level, you can't just cast it. You have to be able to f- 
afford a gem that costs 100 gold because there should be some sort of barrier between you and casting the spell. Revivify. It's a third level spell, but you need 300 GP of diamonds. Yeah, which so, blows. Yeah. <laughs> but there is that type of barrier. So a, if you want resurrection to be a lot rarer in your campaign, you can put diamonds to be incredibly hard to find. And so there becomes like this barrier that DMs and the players and the world can work around to create powerful spells, but put barriers behind them, but still allow characters to have access to them. Right. And I think that comes down to a point where the DM is, has holds some responsibility to this. If I want to cast revivify and you're, I'm never going to find fucking diamonds. Well, fuck you. Yeah, like I I need that spell, and you can't just be like, nope, no diamonds. Yeah, and I I think it's it's more than fair for like you to have access to some diamonds. Like if you if you really wanted resurrection to mean something, then you know like slowly give them diamonds over time, but never have let them have more than like a single casting of revivify. At I agree. Time. And then once they cast it, wait a couple of sessions before they can start finding more diamonds to refill that. Like, you should allow them to cast spells. Yeah. You should give them options to get access so that they can cast those spells, but you should be able to funnel it in such a way that you feel like you kind of have a control over resurrection magic. Or don't worry about it and just allow them to buy diamonds if that's the type of world you want to run where that doesn't have as high of a price to it. Yeah, and then you know you just screw them over by being like, "Yeah, there's just it's not there's not a lot of gold in this." You know what? You're just gonna have to save up all that electrum to get yeah. to there. Yeah, you know those cartloads of copper you left behind. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you go back for those? You know, copper copper's like the penny of the of the D and D world, but electrum el- electrum's like like a dime. You know, like coins go up like pennies one size, then a nickel's one size, then a quarter's bigger, and then the, you have this fucking weird ass dime. That is tiny. It's like, that's Electrum to me. It's like, it doesn't fit with anything else. And I like, you give it to us all the fucking time. I like Electrum because it's, it's kind of fills in like foreign currency. Like everything, like I'm not going to go through the world and be like, all right, they use these type of coins and they use these type of coins and the exchange rate on these coins, are blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's like, that's getting a little bit too nitty gritty. I like the idea of doing it, but I know my characters wouldn't be like, all right, so I have 10 Dadari, and then I have 12 monies, and then I have 15 Nunus. What the fuck do I have? Like, but being able to put Electrum in there because it's already coded into the game allows you to add like the concept of like foreign currency. I personally like platinum. Yes. I'm I'll aware take, you I'll like take a lot of that. <laughs> um, and you know, like, going along with uh, like currency type stuff like you can use that to help further the flavor of your game you don't need dandaris and monies and new news and whatever else you want to call your money i'm like getting, you can I, just i'm gonna ask for new news on saturday like you can just rely on what they already have there yeah. where it's like the common people all use silver pieces the rich people all use gold pieces the platinum pieces well, that, that's from a long lost civilization and like they're highly prized because it was like this old currency, but only certain people value it to that extent. Shopkeepers who only work in silver and maybe sometimes gold don't give a shit about platinum because it has no historical value to them. But you could go to like a rich person, a collector, and they might be like, Ooh, I would love some platinum. And like if you want to run that type of game, you are more than free to do that and it stays within the constraints of your world. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about making new news and monies and whatnot. I still don't like Electrum. Uh, I know you don't like Electrum. Yeah, but, but I, okay. I have a lot of now it. Now I just it's, do it to annoy you. It's, yeah, I know. And it's like, can I go change it in in a bank? No. No. There's there's no banks. Uh, just like they, there's no clocks. They said the they area. don't serve half-work samurais. <clears throat> hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Barbarian. 
Oh, that's not cool. Not cool at all. Uh, yeah, going back to like spell components. Spell components are there for a reason. A lot of them are flavorful because that's what it used to be in one e yes. and two e, and so like they've kept that over for grognards and uh, like the old gro- like the people who used to play it. They keep it in. Are you looking at me like me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but they created ways to get around it, like component pouches or arcane right. foci, so that you can like it's there. But you understand the importance of having an arcane focus. Like you can channel it through your your uh, your staff, your wand, your your spell orb. Like, and it provides flavor. Or you can be like, oh, I actually want to use the components because it's kind of fun, you know. Like I can like pull out a piece of sulfur, snap it in two, and I uh, cause like a wall of fire to appear or things yeah. of that nature. Yeah, I mean it's it can be used to great uh, to like flavor up your character. Or if you don't want to worry about that, you just grab a focus. Now, anything that costs money though is designed to be a bit of a barrier or to limit you how many times you can cast this like hero's feast requires like a thousand gold goblet and it gets consumed when you cast that goblet i mean it's not it's it's not it's a goblet you have to have a A thousand gold goblet that's crazy and it gets consumed when you cast it so then the idea is that this is not just a spell you cast every day but rather a spell that you cast before like a big fight you're about to take part in right and so like there's limits as to like it's it's like self-imposed limits inside the D system and it creates uh, uh it makes those spells that cost them think it keeps down their spell level mm-hmm. but it also creates limits inside the world as to how often they should be cast and how often that a dm might consider letting them cast if you're in a powerful high magic world then yeah there's thousand gold goblets everywhere <laughs> if you're in a very low magic world they might find one. They might find two. Right. And then they're going to hold on to those gab- goblets before like their big final end boss. And then that spell feels really, really special when they cast it. And they finally use that one goblet. Or if you're like my player, so they'll just throw it in the bag, forget about it, and never use it. Shut up. <laughs> uh, and it's, it, you know, going on this, I, w- I pulled up just a random spell. I just clicked on a random spell. And uh, Agonazes are Scorcher. Right? Agonazes Scorcher. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, going back to what you're talking about, it's interesting because a line of flame, 30 feet long, 5 feet wide, deck saving throw, 3d8 damage or half, which is a lot for a second level spell. But the material components, a red dragon scale. That doesn't seem like something you're going to just find on the ground while you're walking through the forest, you know? And I think for that, I, I you know, the more we're talking about this, I really think that uh, you should go through the spells that you're taking and require a lot of the material components. Well, that's the purpose of the component pouch and the arcane focus. Because you have arcane focus, you don't have to worry about finding a red dragon scale to cast Agonars because it doesn't have a gold cost associated with it. Right. I guess so. I don't An know. arcane focus just covers any component that does not have a price attached to it. So a red dragon scale, you can, like, ideally you would have one so you could cast a spell but an arcane focus kind of acts as kind of a a hack to it where you can just bypass those material components needed yeah and and i understand why they do i don't know material components to me are like rations yeah yeah you, you get them but you just don't it's like yep okay i don't keep track of it uh, and I think that's a big problem for a lot of tables is that like the players don't pay attention to their food rations. They don't pay attention to the material components. And so part of that game, like exploration definitely suffers mm-hmm. from like that lack of cohesion between what the system assumes you're doing and what the party or like what the table is actually doing. Right. And so like, components and spells and stuff like that become way uh, become a lot more powerful when 
players and DMs are not paying attention to spell components. Like, oh, this one requires me to move my hands, but I have a shield and a weapon out. I can't do the somatic components because my weapon's out. And so, like, people ignore that, which makes them stronger uh characters normally a cleric would then have to like sheath their weapon and then do the spell components and they wouldn't be able to take out their weapon that same turn Mm -hmm. because they use their one object interaction to sheath their weapon and so there's there gets to be a bit of a disconnect and it makes certain feats like warcaster less useful yeah a lot less useful and like as myself as a player i try to pay attention to it because i think it's important and i i also found like that type of like juggling to be fun for me but i know like there's certain uh people even at my own table that don't pay attention to it and i don't enforce it because uh, it's not at the top of my mind because i'm trying to remember what all these other type things like what else are my monsters doing and so unfortunately that's one of the things i kind of fail at my own table at is like enforcing components for spells but i try as hard as i can to remember material components that cost gold and making sure that they have those things on them and i think that's the i think that's the way to look at it i mean i think that you that i mean we've talked about it if it has a gold cost associated to it you have to have it yeah And, and it and it makes a player much more conscious of when they should use a spell and when they shouldn't depending on how often they can find yes. it. And, and that, Even if Chris looks at me all sad and is just like, can I please cast it this one time, please? Mm-hmm. please. And, you're like, and then he throws a temper tantrum and throws I, me out of his house. Whatever, I've never did that. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. But I think that's a good discussion for um, uh, for this, and we'll close out here. Um, there, it, When creating homebrew, there's a lot of back and forth, and there's a big focus on paying attention to what's already been created. If you take a moment and you look at cantrips and their damage die and seeing like, you know, like what effects they have and how that affects the damage die, you can get a better feel for how things are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Now we've yeah. talked about we talked about in a previous uh, podcast homebrew, but I mean, I think it's one of the best things about Five E is being. I mean, they it, it's really promoted in Five E now. Three point five, four did it too, but it's. It's really open now. I mean, you could talk about it every episode uh, of a podcast, I think. And, I mean, it's fun. I like doing it. I like... There's a shitload of bad homebrew out there. But the more you do it, and the more I've done it, and the more you've yelled at me when I've fucked up, I've learned a lot more now, and I think I've gotten a lot better at it. And I think some of the stuff that we put out is kind of fun and interesting, and I think people are actually using it. So... I don't know. I mean, and uh, here's the tie-in to the shameless plug. If you like what we do and you like homebrew, um, check out our Patreon page. Because one of the things that we really want people to look at is we have a homebrew horde. Um, At one of the tiers, if you love homebrew, we have, I mean, we're pushing, what, 75 pieces of? Uh, There's a lot. I need to go through and number it all. But, like, yeah, there's, like... 40 plus monsters there's a handful of magic items and that we're throwing more stuff into there's a couple of different spells there's Mm -hmm. a couple of resources uh that i've created like a guide on how to be a better necromancer wizard there's uh, there's a variety of we should actually start putting the subclasses in there too um but yeah if you are interested in looking at homebrew and checking it out you should definitely check out our patreon patreon page um and you know we're always we're always thinking about new ways and different things to do uh, to you know make it more appealing. So if you're looking for something, just let us know. 
and we can do it and then we'll put it in the homebrew hoard yes we'll give it to you and not make you pay for it but it's a one more piece to put in the hoard for the people that are patrons uh what do you got steven one more plug uh gm binder their kickstarter uh, yes. is going to be ending within the next week so uh you know if you haven't yet backed kickstarter and you like what they're uh, I mean, if you haven't yet backed their kickstarter and you like what gm binder does and you know make sure you show up um check it out i'll throw a link yeah. down there and we use it for everything Every- yeah yeah pretty much everything yeah and some of the stuff that they're doing i mean they are what f- close to their they're at uh, about forty five thousand. right uh, when i checked today uh which uh is, is just like the tip of the iceberg as to you know uh, adding extra features to gm binder in a timely manner uh they have a couple of other Goals that they would like to reach that'll uh, provide a lot more features to GM Binder, but that's at like 60,000. So hopefully they can get to that by uh, the end of their Kickstarter and uh, be able to provide a lot more stuff that is, uh, that won't be like locked behind like a subscription to GM Binder, but everyone gets access to it. Right. Now there are a couple of added bonuses if you are part of their GM Binder Plus program, but if they can reach more and more uh, levels or more and more milestones, then they're going to be adding a lot more features to GM Binder that can be helpful not only to those that are creating content on GM Binder, but also those that are looking for content on GM Binder and allowing them to follow authors and uh, keep track of different projects that are being worked on and things of that nature. And they've partnered up with a couple yeah dungeon fog and world anvil they just partnered up with and are adding some features into gm binder to better sync those programs together yeah which i'm looking forward to seeing so twitter do we remember what our twitter handle is steven do you remember at stat underscore dump yeah stat dump uh follow us on twitter at stat underscore dump you can go to our subreddit which is just reddit.com slash r slash uh dump underscore stat um our patreon is patreon.com slash dumpstat our website of course is dumpstatadventures.com uh i think that's all i got to say chris what about you say goodbye steven